and all the time. Amen. It's already been good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I enjoy singing praise unto the Lord Jesus, for He's the only one worthy of my praise. <laughs> and the Bible says that He inhabits the praises of His people. And uh, we've experienced His presence this morning already in these services, and for that I'm very thankful. Over the last four or five months, I've had my temperature taken more than ever before in my life. How about you? I remember one time at the beginning of the pandemic, I got my temperature taken four different times in four different places in one day. We were taking our temperature as a family before we left the house, and then I'd get to work and take my temperature there, and then we'd go to the grocery store or Walmart or to the gas station sometimes or even restaurants and they'd take your temperature there. I mean, everybody was taking um, your temperature. And I wish some way, somehow we could have seen into the future and all of us had bought stock in the company that makes therm thermometers. And if we could have, uh, we'd all be sitting well off right now. There's no doubt about that. But uh, uh, we, uh, it's been taking a lot for me and I bet it's probably been taking a lot for you too. I would venture in saying that's probably true to some degree for all of us. We've all had our temperature taken a whole lot here lately. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I know you're doing what we can. We're doing what we can do to protect ourselves and protect others. And sometimes it can be an inconvenience. Uh, but that's all right, too. Uh, when we are inconvenienced, sometimes that humbles us. And that's also a good thing. So it's not really a bad thing of what's going on. But... Um, it certainly happened over the last four or five months. Now this morning I want to ask you a very important question. And the question that I'm going to ask you and how you answer it is vitally important to you as individuals. And it's vitally important not only to you as individuals but also uh, to, um, to our families not only to us on an individual basis, but to our families, how we answer this question is vitally important. And now, do you hear me, fathers? This question that I'm going to ask you, how you answer it, is important for your family. It's important for your kids, and it's vitally important for your wife. Do you hear me, mothers? The question that I'm going to ask you and how you answer it is vitally important, not only to you, but to your children and to your husbands. Now, it's not only important to us on an individual basis and with our families, but I want to tell you, church, how we answer this question moving forward is vitally important to us as a church body, as the body of Christ right here at Mount Zion Baptist Church. Do you understand that? Do you hear me, pastors? And, and I'll put myself in there. Do you hear me, teachers? Do you, do you hear me, uh, small group leaders? Do you hear me, deacons? Do you hear me, um, uh, prayer warriors? Do you hear me, laymen and lay ladies? Folks, the, how we answer this question is vitally important to our church. It's important to us as individuals, to our families, listen, to our churches. I'm going to tell you this, how we answer this question that I'm going to ask you this morning in just a moment is vitally important to a lost and dying world in which we live, to a world that is in darkness. It's vitally important to them. You say, well, Brother Israel, if it's that important, then what's the question? Are you ready? Here it goes. I'm going to ask you, and we're going to try to answer this question in each and every life this morning as we get into the Word of God. Is your spiritual fire burning see I've got to ask myself that and you've got to ask yourself that this morning I'm not interested in taking your temperature physically 
But I want us to look into the Word of God and take our spiritual temperature. How hot are we burning for the Lord Jesus? How hot are we burning in being what God wants us to be in this world that He's placed us in to fulfill His purpose? And so uh, this morning, Jesus, folks, spoke to the church of Laodicea in Roma in Revelation chapter number 3 about this very subject. He's talking about their spiritual temperature. And so what I want us to do this morning, take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter number 3, and we're going to look starting in verse number 14, and we'll read through the end of the chapter in just a minute. Now there's three things that I want you to know about the letter Jesus gives John to write to the church of Laodicea. Now listen to me. Get a hold of this. It is certainly prophetic. We know that Revelation is uh, a prophetic book. And it's prophetic for the church of Laodicea. uh, And it's also prophetic for us. But I also want you to understand, listen to me now, it's also very practical. I mean, this tells us what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And he lays it out for us very plainly what the church is to be uh, as concerning our our spiritual temperature. Now, let's... Let me say something else. But it's also personal. And that's what I really wanted to get to. How many of you know that this is not just what God has said to the church, but it is what God is saying today to the church. It's what God is saying to me. And so what we need to do this morning, just like we do every time we come to a service like this and get under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, we need to ask ourselves, what is God saying to me through His truth? It is prophetic. Listen, it's certainly practical, but it's also personal. How is God speaking to me? I've asked myself that question before I came out here this morning, and I'm hoping and praying you'll ask yourself that question as we get into the Word of God together. Now, verse number 14, Jesus tells us three things about himself. Watch this. He says, And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen. First of all, he says, I am the Amen. What does it mean when Jesus calls himself the Amen? You've probably never heard Jesus called the Amen, but that's what he calls himself right here in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 14. The word Amen means let it be. And so really what Jesus is saying is that he is the factual Son of God and God the Son. If you believe it, say Amen this morning. Folks, listen to me very plainly. We know upon the authority of Scripture, listen to me now, and the accuracy of historical record that that has been fulfilled by the finished work of Jesus, that He is the factual Son of God and God the Son. How many of you know it's only God the Son that can overcome the grave? And we know, historically speaking, that Jesus overcome the grave. We know that he conquered death, hell, and the grave on that first Easter morning. We know he had a borrowed tomb for a reason. Can you say amen? So we need to understand and know that Jesus is the factual Son of God and God the Son. But then he says something else. He says not only is he the amen, but he's the faithful and true witness. Jesus is the faithful one this morning. Now I'm glad of that. I want you to know that if Jesus says it in his word, we can count on it. 
We can build our life upon it. Lord willing, we're going to be talking about next week uh, what Jesus says about how we are to build our house because the storm's coming. Amen? And I want you to know, Jesus is faithful. What he says, he will do. He's factual, he's faithful, but now listen to the last part of this verse. He says, these things said the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now listen to me, folks. What he's saying is, he's the author of the beginning. <laughs> he was in the beginning with God the Father and with God the Holy Spirit when creation took place. I love J. Vernon McGee. He's one of my favorite preachers and Bible commentators. And I heard him say years ago that you go back just as far as you want to go back. If you want to go back thousands of years, go back thousands of years. If you want to go back millions of years, go back millions of years. If you want to go back billions and trillions of years, go back that far. But when you get back and, and, and drive your stake in the ground of when the beginning began... Jesus is already there. <laughs> He's already there. He's the one at the beginning of creation. He is the word of God by whom, by which all things were made. That's what John said in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And there wasn't anything made that was made unless it was made by him. Amen. So that's who Jesus is. He's the factual Son of God, God the Son. He's the faithful Son of God and God the Son. And he's the forceful Son of God and God the Son. And he makes that clear right there in the first verse, verse number 14. Look at verse 15. I know thy works, that thou neither wert neither hot or cold. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increase with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. He says, verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. How many of you are thankful for the counsel of God? Three of us. How many of you are thankful for the counsel of God? When God gives you what you need. Now listen, when God gives you what you need from time to time, it's not always easy to take, is it? Kind of like medicine. <laughs> I remember my little girl, Anna Kate, when she was just a, just a baby. I've never seen a child hate medicine worse than she did. I can remember several times, man, she would have a cold or runny nose, and we'd go get her some medicine at the doctor, and, man, we'd get that teaspoon out and stick it in her mouth, and she'd spit it right back out over and over and over again, we'd waste a half a bottle of medicine just trying to get one dose down her. So finally, I'd just cram it in there and hold her mouth shut. Kind of like worming a dog. You ever wormed a dog? You stick that peel in there and it closes his mouth. Medicine, even though it's good for you, is not always easy to take. And so the counsel of God is very good for us. It gives us what we need, but it's not always easy to take. And he says in verse number 18, I counsel thee to buy me, to, to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of nakedness that do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke thee and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, and I will sup with him, and he with me, if you believe it, say amen. Praise the Lord for the truth of the word of God. Jesus said, I'm knocking and waiting. When you're ready to open, I'm ready to come in. Verse 21, to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in thy throne? 
in my throne, excuse me, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Anybody got ears this morning? Reach up there and feel if you got any ears. If you've got some ears, God's talking to you. See, like I said before, this is a personal word. If you're ready to listen, God's ready to speak. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you again, Lord, for who you are. Bless the preaching of your word, for I am nothing, and Lord, I can do nothing. But I know this, you can do all things. And I know this, you are worthy of honor and glory. And may you be honored and glorified in the message I preach today, not by my power, but Holy Spirit, by your power. I relinquish my will to yours, and I'm asking you, fill me up, use me, pour me out in the lives of these people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs> There's three or four things that I want to show you in this this morning. First of all, I want us to notice the difference of the physical temperature and spiritual temperature, because there is a difference. When we're talking about uh, the physical temperature that I spoke about before, physically speaking, if you have a temperature, that's a bad thing. It means you're sick. Now, spiritually speaking, if you have a temperature, it means you're well. Can you say amen? Uh, look, look with me, if you will. Uh, keep your place there in the book of Revelation chapter 3. And look back to Luke chapter 3, verse number 16. Listen how Jesus puts it here. I've told you before, we're going to keep telling you that the best commentary on the Word of God is the Word of God itself. And look how Jesus puts this in Luke chapter 3, or excuse me, John puts this in Luke 3 and verse number 16. John the Baptist says, Answering unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but there's one mightier that, uh, that cometh after me, whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with Holy Ghost and with fire. So folks, what I'm praying for, what I'm wanting and what I'm asking you to pray for and what I want you to desire as God's people is that the fire of God, the Holy Spirit would work on us, work in us and work through us in such a way that the fire of God would shine others in a dark world unto the Lord Jesus. That we would light the way to show others what it means to be a follower of Christ. So physically speaking, if you've got a temperature, that's a bad thing. It means you're sick. But I'm going to tell you something. If you've got the fire of God within you as a child of God, spiritually speaking, it means you're well. Can you say amen? Physically speaking, if you've got a temperature, it means that you've got an infection. And that's why uh, one way your body fights off the infection is through the fever, through that rise in temperature. Spiritually speaking, if you've got a temperature, listen to me, it means you're operating by the power of the resurrection. Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 11, the Bible says that the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead now dwells in the believer. How many of you understand today that Christ lives in you if you've placed your faith in Christ? If you've placed your faith in Jesus and you've been born again into the family of God, when you got saved, a lot of cool things happened. First of all, the Bible teaches that your sins were forgiven. If you believe it, say amen. Listen, that sin that separated you from God was forgiven, washed clean by the blood of Christ, and you were made right with God, with God the Father. You have been redeemed. Amen. You have been bought back, folks, from the sin that you were in bondage to. 
So you need to understand, you need to know, you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. And man, we praise God for that this morning. Let me say something else that happens. The Bible says that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. If you believe it, say amen today. Now listen to me, what's that talking about? Jesus, if you remember, sent his disciples out once upon a time and they came back and they were all excited that the demons knew who they were. I mean, they were going out and casting out demons in folks by the power, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They came back and said, Lord, even the demon, the demonic spirits, they're subject unto us. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, you shouldn't be excited that the demons know your name. What you ought to be excited about is that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. The moment I trusted in Jesus, I received the free gift of salvation and praise God by his grace, I've missed hell and gained heaven through the finished work of Christ himself. So listen, our sins were forgiven, our name was written down in the Lamb's book of life, but let me tell you something else awesome that happens. We were indwelled by the precious Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 12 that we were all baptized into one body by one spirit. Wow, now God lives in you and in me. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says it like this. He says that we are the temple of God. He goes on in the book of 1 Corinthians and tells us that, listen to me now, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That treasure he speaks of is the person of God himself in the Holy Spirit. He lives in you and he lives in me as believers. Praise God. So the Bible tells us, John said, I baptize with water. But there's coming one that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So may the fire of God be burning within us so much that we have that spiritual temperature that Jesus describes for us right there in Revelation chapter number 3. May we be burning brightly, burning hot for the Lord. Now, listen to me, folks. When Jesus tells us about the difference in hot and cold, he makes this distinction for a reason. That's, that's the next thing that I want you to see. The, the, the distinction Jesus makes. He, he talks about those who are hot. He talks about those who are cold. And then he talks a whole lot about those who, in, who are what he calls lukewarm. So let's, let's talk about that. Go back to Revelation chapter 3 with me there. Look down at verse number 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, and I would thou wert cold or hot. Do you see that? So what's Jesus telling us here? He said, I know who you are, and I know what you do. I know your works. If you go back and read in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, you're going to see that John, through Revelation and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, paints us a picture of Jesus being in the center of, his, of these seven churches that he writes to. And, and listen to me, folks. That, that speaks to the truth that we already know in Scripture where Jesus says, where my people gathered, I'm in the midst. So what's that mean for us? What's that mean for us uh, here at Mount Zion? It means the same thing it meant for the church at Laodicea, for the church at Sardis, for the church at Ephesus, for all those seven churches. And what it means is that Jesus knows what's going on in his church. 
He knows what's going on with his preachers. He knows what's going on with his teachers. He knows what's going on with his people. Jesus knows exactly who we are and what we're doing. And let me say something. He knows what we're not doing. And so he says, I would that you were either hot or cold. So let's, let's look at those distinctions. What does it mean to be hot? To be hot for Jesus means that you are zealous toward the things of God. To be hot for Jesus, you remember what that's like if you've ever been saved. Do you remember what it was like right after you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Do you remember the newness, the freshness, the excitement of having that right relationship with God the Father? Do you remember what that felt like in your heart and in your life? Listen, do you remember what it was like for to experience that sweet fellowship with the Lord where you couldn't wait to spend time with Him? Where you couldn't wait to get in your Bible daily and take time to spend time in the Word of God so that God God could speak to you. Do you remember that? Do you remember what it's like, man, to, you couldn't wait to pray and ask God to, to give you direction in every decision that you made? Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember what it was like when you couldn't wait to get to Sunday school on Sunday morning because you wanted to see what God had for you? Do you remember what it was like to, 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 to just be so excited to get to be used to the Lord in any way that you could be used? That's being hot for the Lord. That's having a spiritual fire burning brightly. And he says, I would that you were either hot, very zealous toward the things of God, or that you were cold. So what does it mean to be cold? If Jesus makes this distinction, we need to know the difference. To be cold, I think he's talking about the atheist, the agnostic, the God-hater, those who stand in rejection of who Christ is and what Christ has done. Now that is a big statement, isn't it? Now remember, he's talking to saved people. He's talking to his church here. The brethren. And he says, I would rather you be cold than lukewarm. I want to tell you why I believe he says that. Cold people... Lost people, people who stand in rejection of Christ are easier to deal with than lukewarm people. At least you know where they stand. Cold people will usually tell you they're cold. I, I, was, I was talking to a Gentleman at my workplace, I guess it's been about a month ago now. Again, it never ceases to amaze me how the Lord puts you in the right place at the right time and opens doors like he can only open them. And um, I was with this man one day, and the Lord opened a door for me to share my faith a little bit with him, but it really sparked his curiosity, and he started asking questions, a lot of questions. And I went through the plan of salvation, what I believe about who Christ is and what Christ has done, and I said, man, is, is this something that you've ever done? He said, oh, no. He said, I'm not, I'm not saved. And you know what he told me? He said, I'm not sure I want to be saved. He said, to tell you the truth, preacher, I kind of like how I'm living. Well, guess what? I can work with this guy. I can talk to him. 
But I tell you who, you, who it's hard to deal with. This ho-hum, milk-toast, lily-livered Christianity that is plaguing the church today. That's hard to deal with. And, and, and let me say something. Because we, and I put myself, we say we love Jesus, but we don't live like we love Jesus. We say we believe, but we don't make decisions like we believe. We don't speak like we believe. We don't talk like we believe. We don't walk like we believe. We don't act like we believe, even though we say it. And so I think God is saying it's a lot easier to deal with the cold folks. Certainly easier to deal with the hot folks than it is the lukewarm folks. You need to see the difference in the spiritual temperature and the physical temperature. You need to see the distinction Jesus made between those who are hot, cold, and lukewarm. But now listen. I also want you to see the dilemma of lukewarmness itself. Look what it says here. Re Revelation chapter number 3, verse number 16. So then, call, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. Watch what he tells us. I will spew you out of my mouth. Now a lot of people, I've heard it taught and preached uh, many times that that means you can lose your salvation. Folks, if that's what it means, then Jesus contradicts himself by what he tells us in John chapter 10. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that if you are in my hand, nobody can pluck you out of my hand. Hey, listen, the Bible contradicts itself because it says in, in Romans chapter 8, nobody can separate us from the love of Christ. Not, per, not perilous times or tribulation or distress, not, not even death, things in heaven, things uh, above or under the earth. Nothing, no man can separate us from the love of Jesus. Isn't that what the Bible says at the end of Romans chapter 8? And so it doesn't mean here that you lose your salvation as a believer because, listen, your salvation is not determined by what you do or don't do. Your salvation is a free gift given and received by grace through faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. But now let me say something. If you've truly been born again, it's certainly going to change how you live. It's going to change your decisions and choices. It's going to change, certainly, your spiritual temperature. Amen. When he says, spew you out of my mouth, the same Greek word here for spew is the word we get. Um, let me see if I can, uh, can, can pronounce this. The, our English word emetic from. Now, an emetic is something that causes you to vomit. If you go to a doctor's office and, and they give you an emetic, they, they would do that to cause you to vomit. I know that I went and done some training here a while back for, um, for herbicide. And they were talking about some things that you need to do if you ingest certain herbicides. And the guy that was teaching actually used this word. He said you need to take an emetic or something that would make you vomit if you got some of that stuff in your system. And so what, what the, the, the Bible is telling us here is that those who are lukewarm makes God want to throw up. It nauseates him. It makes him sick to his stomach. And so, folks, I don't know about you, but I don't want that to be said of me. So what we need to do is take our spiritual temperature. You say, brother, how are we going to do that? We look to the thermometer of the Word of God. It's what shows us really where we are because this is God's standard. So let me ask you something. I think there's a lot of ways we can look into our life and see whether or not we're as hot as we need to be for the Lord. A lot of people, I believe, show lukewarmness, listen, in sanctification. 
Now, we know what sanctification is. If you remember, again, our study of Romans, you remember that sanctification is the process of us being cleaned up and set apart for the purpose of God. Now, a lot of people who have been saved become lukewarm in sanctification. And they say things like, well, Brother Israel, I'm saved by grace. I'm not saved by works. Now, I, I, I agree with that. I just said that. I'm always going to preach that because that's what God's Word says. But I'm telling you, salvation by grace changes works. It doesn't make us perfect. But now listen, it certainly gives us a desire to serve the Lord. Amen? It changes our wanter. <laughs> my want to's changed because my desire has changed, because my direction has changed, because I trusted in Jesus. I've repented of my sin and turned toward Christ. Changing my direction, changing my desire, thereby changing my works. Are you getting me? And so, many times though, we become lax in sanctification because we know we've been saved by grace. That cheapens grace, and it shouldn't. Grace shouldn't make you want to go out and live how you want to live. Grace ought to make you want to serve the Lord more. Amen? And many times, we all, rationalize and justify our sin, don't we? I, I mean, you say, well, Brother Israel, uh, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a liar. Well, I know you don't tell those big old black lies, but do you ever tell those little bitty white ones? I'm talking about whenever you see somebody you don't really like and you say it's good to see you. Then you know that's a lie. I'm talking about when a friend asks you, says, Brother Israel, will you pray for me? And I say, oh, yeah, brother, I'll pray for you. And I never pray for him. That's a lie. Now, and you say, Brother Israel, I'm really not that bad. I mean, I, I, I don't steal. Well, you don't steal, but do you pay your debts? Because it's really the same thing. Right? You say, Brother Israel, I, I don't commit adultery. Well, you may not, but do you entertain yourself at home with the TV, with those who do? We can't become lax in sanctification. We can't become lukewarm in sanctification if we're going to be hot for Jesus, amen, on fire for Jesus. Some people, myself included from time to time, listen to me, folks, we become lukewarm in service, don't we? Let me tell you something. I want to be a pastor who passionately preaches the truth with the, of the Word of God by the power of God the Holy Spirit. I want to be a pastor preaching with urgency, realizing I'm preaching to dying people and I myself am a dying man. But there's times... I can become lukewarm in service. I don't want to do that. Let me ask you something, Sunday school teacher. Uh, when's the last time you spent time in prayer for your Sunday school class? Praying that God would do the work that only God could do. Praying that God speaks His truth, changes lives, and does the work 
that only he's capable of. I don't want to become lukewarm in service. Let me give you just something we can all relate to. Do you know what you're doing this morning is an act of service? Yes, it's an act of worship, but it's also an act of service. I'm talking about just coming to church. Do you know the Bible commands us to come to church? Hebrews 10, 25, listen, the Bible tells us plainly that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some do. But we should, listen, come and be a part of what God's doing together as his people because we see the day approaching. Now, what day is he talking about? He's talking about the day of the Lord. How many of y'all believe we're in the last days? Folks, now's not the time to pull away from the things of God. Now's the time for you to press into the things of God. Now's not the time for you to become lukewarm, now's the time for you to burn brightly with Jesus. For Jesus. You say, well, how is just coming to church serving the Lord? I'm reminded of a story I heard one time about a little grandma who lived in the South during the Civil War. And it was when Grant was on his way to Atlanta and he was doing his slash and burn policy where he pretty much burned all throughout the South, all the way to Atlanta. And she was sitting there in her home with her family around her whenever the Union troops started coming down the road. And the story goes that she jumped up and grabbed her fire poker by the, uh, by, by the fireplace there and ran out the door yelling at the Union soldiers as they were coming to her house. And right before she jumped off the porch, some of her family said, Granny, what are you going to do with that fire poker? She said, I can let them know whose side I'm on. Now listen to me, folks. Listen to me, daddies. Sunday morning, when you get up and put that Bible under your arm and head off to church, get, let, let me tell you what you're doing. You're letting everybody know whose side you're on. You're letting them kids know and your wife know and the neighbors know whose side you're on. Hey, on Sunday night when you've got service and you get up and you put that Bible under your arm and you get them kids in tow and you bring them on to church, guess what you're doing? You let them know whose side you're on. Wednesday night, we got Wednesday night Bible study. You get up and you put that Bible on your arm and you on, on your way to church, you lead your family to church, you letting them know whose side you're on. Now, just coming to church, that's not the ceiling, that's the floor. But we start at the floor and work on up. Growing in the Lord, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, grow, grow from glory to glory so that God might use us more effectively for his kingdom. That starts just in church, just what you're doing this morning. Don't become lukewarm in service. Let me tell you something else. Don't be lukewarm in singing. Amen? Because that's important. Do you know we're commanded to sing praise to the Lord? Let me tell you how you ought to sing praise to the Lord. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 with me. And look down with me, if you will, please, at verse number 18. Watch what it says. Ephesians 5, verse number 18. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Then watch what he tells us. He says, when you are filled with the Spirit... There are going to be some things you do. You speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So when you come into the house of God, 
Pray and ask God the Holy Spirit to fill you up and use you so that you might sing effectively unto the Lord, so that you might glorify the Lord and bless others. You say, well, brothers, well, my singing is going to be a blessing to nobody. <laughs> I know what you mean. I'm there too. But let me tell you what I can do. I can make a joyful noise. And that's what, I want, that's what I'm going to do. You may tell you why? Because he's worthy. Now, for those sitting around me, I'm not singing for you. I apologize. I'm sorry, but I'm not singing for you. <laughs> I'm just going to keep singing. Why? Because Jesus is too good for me not to sing and glorify him. So don't get lukewarm with your singing. Listen, don't get lukewarm with the scripture. Man, make the study of the word of God a priority in your life. Not just inside the four walls of this church, but certainly inside the four walls of this church. Now, I know we've got lukewarm in scripture study. Let me tell you why. Our attendance on Wednesday night. We're still having church on Wednesday night. God's still blessing. God's still moving. God's still working. We want you to be a part of it. Come on back. Let's get in church. Let's be together. Let me tell you what we're doing. We're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, straight through the word of God. Don't become lukewarm with the scripture. I need it. You need it. We need it. And if we're going to be what God wants us to be, which is on fire for Jesus, it's going to happen through the preaching of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't get lukewarm in these things. The dilemma of lukewarmness is it make God, makes God sick. Let me give you something G. Campbell Morgan said about lukewarmness. He says, lukewarmness is saying to Jesus, Jesus, I believe in you, but you don't excite me. I believe in you, but I don't intend to serve you. Why do you think that would make God sick? I want you to think about it for a moment. As a father... If I'd given my son to be brutally murdered, humiliated for someone that I loved, and they chose not to love me back, I think that'd make me pretty sick too. Lukewarmness makes God want to vomit is really what he's saying. But then he gives us the remedy. And watch what he tells us. Revelation 3, verse number 17, he says, You're saying I'm rich and increased with goods. Lord, I've got everything I need. I, I've got plenty of money and all the stuff I want. I've got need of nothing. And knowest thou not that thou art wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I've heard it said, those who are the most blind are those who refuse to see. Usually the lukewarm Christian is the one who finds it out last. You think you got it all figured out. You're doing your thing, going your way, doing whatever you want to do, buying whatever you want to buy is what he's saying, but you're missing the most important things. Verse 18. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye save that thou mayest see. Now let me tell you what he means by this. Laodicea was famous for three things. First of all, the production of wool. Secondly, they had uh, a, a big gold business there. And thirdly, they had a doctor that treated blindness, and he was one of the best around. And so they were known um, for their clinic for blindness in Laodicea. And what God is saying is that, listen, what you need is my fire so that you'll have gold refined in the fire. 
Amen. Let me tell you what fire speaks of. Fire speaks of purity. Fire speaks of God's power. Fire speaks of God's presence in your life. What's God saying? Put me as first priority so that I can give you truly what you need. It's not the physical things that you're putting all your trust in. You need the spiritual things is what he's telling them. And then he says the most famous, one of the most famous scriptures in all the word of God, verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. And if anybody hears and opens, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. Now, I know that that's been used in invitations for hundreds of years for lost souls to come to Jesus. And I'm not against that. <laughs> but if we keep this in context, here you have Jesus trying to get into his church. He's knocking on the door of his church and saying, let me in. I've told you before, folks, one of the greatest tragedies that we face in the modern church today is that we've learned to do church without the power of God. We can go through the motions, we can do our plans, we can do our programs, we can say our prayers and preach our sermons and sing our songs, do our ministry in our power, but I'll tell you this, it'll never be effective without God doing what only God can do. I don't want to be lukewarm. I want to be on fire for Christ. And the Bible says we can do it if we do these things. Watch what he says. He says that we must repent. Verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. God is so good, so gracious, so loving. He says what you need to do is repent. Turn to me. Folks, today, more than ever, we need a church burning brightly for Christ. It only happens through repentance. Through repentance. You say, brothers, I already have repented. I repented when I got saved. Folks, I've repented a whole lot more after I got saved than when I got saved. Repentance is not a one-time deal. I have to repent every day. And whether you, whether you understand or not, you do too. We need God's grace and God's mercy each and every day. Keep a short, short account with the Lord. Get it right this morning, whatever you know to be wrong. Whatever God's spoken to your heart, whatever God's made real to you today, however God has showed His truth to you through His Word, get it right today. Repent. Turn to the Lord. Let's burn brightly for Christ. Brother, come on up. When I was a little boy, one thing that I absolutely loved was shooting fireworks with my brothers. And I remember, I guess I was probably, I don't know, 11, 12 years old, maybe. Mother, my mother and my father bought us some fireworks on New Year's Eve. And so we got up early the next morning, and, and at that time, as you know, the, all the grass was dead and brown everywhere, dry. And we got out six, seven o'clock in the morning and started shooting more of the fireworks that we were left over from the night before. Has anybody ever shot a Roman candle? Those were some of my favorites. 
And so we was out in the yard that day, and my brothers were standing around me, and I picked up one of those Roman candles. I struck the, the lighter that I had in my hand there, and I said, all right, I'm giving you a count of three to run as fast as you can run and get as far away as you can possibly get. And so I started counting three, and they're just looking at me. I said, you better run. Two. They're still looking at me. I said, you better run. And they saw I was serious. And by the time I said one, they took off as fast as they could. I lit the Roman candle and took off after them, trying to shoot my brothers with it. And so I'm running all over the yard, you know. And I don't know how many of their, their shots are in that, probably 10, 12. And I'm running after them. Man, I'd shoot it over here and they'd miss them. And I'd shoot them over here having a good time. It's, it's fun trying to burn your brothers alive. And, I was shooting it here, shooting it there, and I ran all the way up to my grandma's house, which was right next door to me. She probably lived, I don't know, 100 yards from us there. And I turned around and looked, and all of those little fires that were created by those Roman candle shots that were coming out were, were just patchy all over the yard. And then a light breeze started to blow, blow and, and, and those little bitty fires started to join together, you know what I'm saying? And become great big fires. And then that great big fire, by this time, was already getting out of control and I was scared to death because right behind my house was a sage grass field, I don't know, probably at that time, two or three acres wide. And I'm doing everything I can do to put out that fire before it gets to the sage grass field. Me and my brothers, we didn't make it. And man, before I knew it, we had a fire. It was everywhere. But it all started with one spark. And as those little fires joined, the fire grew to something that could not be quenched. Now what am I saying to you? Folks, I can't speak for you. And you can't speak for me. I don't know where you are with the Lord. You don't know where I am with the Lord. I'll promise you this, before I ever come out this morning and preach this sermon, I'd do some soul searching myself. And God the Holy Spirit convicted my heart of some things I need to get right. Some things I've become lukewarm in. But I know, I know that if I repent just what he told me to do and I turn to the Lord, and I confess my sin. He's faithful and just to forgive my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And listen, I can become on fire for Christ, burning brightly so that I might make a difference. Now, if God does it for me, and God does it for you, and God does it for you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and then we come together as a church, what can we do for the kingdom of God in this community? What can we do for families, people at our workplace, people at our schools? How can we really make a difference if we're on fire? That's what I long for. That's what I desire. And if that's your desire this morning, then do what God said. Repent. Confess. The Bible says He'll forgive you of your sin. Clean you up. Use you for his honor and his glory. So whatever you need to do today, this invitation is for you. If you've not yet been born again today,